Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. Man, oh man, there is a ton going on today. I won't possibly get to all of it. And there's a lot I do want to get to. But before I get to all of it, I want you to listen to this interview by Martha Raddatz of ABC's This Week's. This week with General Mark Milley. I want you to listen carefully. I'm not going to comment before except to say on full display is the Democrat Party, the state party media. Just listen to this. Cut five. Go. Were you concerned at any time that you might receive an illegal order? You know, let me let me just say this about January 6th in the election. Sorry. Let's start over. Go ahead. Were you concerned at any time that you might receive an illegal order after Election Day? I never did receive an illegal order. Was there concern? Um, you know, I, I, I argued the case uh, at various times to, for alternative courses of action, never received an illegal order. You were in this building on January 6th. Mm-hmm. You saw what happened sure. on January 6th. Mm-hmm. Are you nervous about that happening again? Can you honestly say you're not nervous about that happening again? No, I'm not nervous about it. No, I think that, uh, first of all, I think... Do you worry about it? You, you will be long gone from the Pentagon. Yeah, no, I don't... I don't worry about a lot of things, uh, Martha. I don't get nervous about a lot of things. I've seen a lot of combat, so uh, I'm beyond that, actually. So, uh, But I would tell you that uh, the, the United States, the institutions of the United States, are very strong and very resilient. I, have, I talk to... I, I just want, I want to clear yeah. this up. Sure. Okay, whatever words you use, worry, yeah. concern, but are you confident that that won't happen again? I am confident that the United States and the democracy and... Uh, of this country will prevail and the rule of law will prevail. I'm absolutely confident of that. And uh, these institutions are uh, built to be strong, resilient, uh, and to adapt to the times. And I'm 100% confident we'll be fine. Isn't this amazing? I know you know, liberal. No, but it's, it's even more than that. She wouldn't let him finish his thoughts. She was pressing him hard to give the answers that she insisted on. Because... I hate to say this in so many ways, but the man deserves credit. He was not going to accept her narrative. And he was in the Oval Office where Donald Trump offered 10,000 National Guardsmen to the Speaker of the House and to the Mayor of Washington, D.C. And they said no. He was in there. The acting Secretary of State was in there. The Chief of Staff to the acting Secretary of State was in there. I think Mark Meadows was in there. All witnesses. The Inspector General of the Defense Department afterwards looked at it and wrote it up and said, yes, that's what he did. He offered them. And this is what gives the lie to so much of this. This is what gives the lie to so much of it. 
Now, I want to go back to meet the press. Donald Trump decided to go and meet the press, or meet the press, as I call it. And the new moderator is named Kristen Walker. You saw in one of the debates in 2020 as a moderator for NBC. So listen to this. Cut one, go. I want to know what's in your head. When you go to bed at night, do you worry about going to jail? No, I don't, really. I don't even think about it. I'm built a little differently, I guess, because I have had people come up to me and say, how do you do it, sir? How do you do it? Uh, I don't even think about it. Uh, These are corrupt people that I'm dealing with. They're destroying our country. I don't even think about it. All I think about is making the country great, making America great. Look, these are political. These are banana republic indictments. These are third world indictments. The president of the United States sees how we're doing. We have a movement, the likes of which has never happened in this country before. And you see it with the polls. I mean, I'm up on these people by 60 points and 59 points. I don't mean I'm at 59. I'm leading them by 59. You almost say, like, why are they campaigning? Asa Hutchinson, he's at zero. Christie's at two. Other ones are at one. Uh, DeSanctimonious is at nine. I Boy, just he, hates, he hates DeSantis. I happen to like DeSantis a tremendous amount, but he hates him because DeSantis is number two, and he keeps trying to pound them down to number three. But that's beside the point. Go ahead. I'm leading him by 60 points. Mr. President. You say, why are they doing it? But here's what they did. They saw this happening, and he went to the Attorney General of the United States, and he told them, indict Trump. There's just no evidence of that, oh, Mr. What? President. Oh, what? Because you mean he's but let's, let's stay Look on track. Look at all the lies he's Mr. President. There's never any evidence. There's no evidence to have an impeachment inquiry because there's no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong. There are mountains of pieces of evidence that Joe Biden should be impeached, even if I take all of the financial violations off the table. Mountains, starting with the border. Presidents have been impeached for far less, including Trump. Far less. Cut to go. When you talk about retribution, are you talking about directing your attorney general to try to go after your political enemies? You know what amazes me here? He's not president right now. We have a president of the United States and an attorney general who is clearly going after their political opponents. I'm not even talking about politicians. They're political opponents. Parents who've had enough of these teacher unions. Pro-lifers. Catholics, you know the list. Going after their political opponents. So, Kristen Welker doesn't even lay the foundation for a question like, are you concerned about this administration going after their opponents? We've had the greatest widespread institution of censorship, if not in American history, certainly since the Civil War and certainly since Woodrow Wilson's reign. Go ahead. I'm talking about fairness. We have to treat people fairly. These people on January 6th, 
They went, some of them never even went into the building and they're being given sentences of, you know, many years. Are you going to pardon those people who've been convicted, Mr. President? I certainly might if I think it's appropriate. Uh, No, it's a very, very sad thing. And it's they're dividing the country so badly and it's very dangerous. Well, Mr. President, we're going to delve into that a little bit later on. But I want to stay on this idea of what you mean by retribution. Are you looking to appoint an attorney general who will prosecute the people you tell them to prosecute? I'm looking to appoint an attorney general who's going to be tough on crime and fair. Very simple. Mm-hmm. One more. Cut three. Go. I want to know who you called By the way, on that day. Nancy Pelosi. I, I, I don't have. I, why would I tell you that? Listen, Nancy Pelosi was in charge of security. She turned down 10,000 soldiers. If she didn't turn down the soldiers, you wouldn't have had January 6th. Did you call military or law enforcement? What? Did you call military or law enforcement at the moment the Capitol was under attack? I'm not going to tell you anything. I told, let me put it this way. I behaved so well. I did such a good job. Nancy Pelosi turned down 10,000 soldiers. If she didn't do that. But and now Nancy I understand, Pelosi doesn't have I the understand that, that you the police testified against. Listen to me, Kristen. Listen to me. Stop a second. You see, you see, I played Millie first for a reason. Because they're pushing propaganda. I'm playing this now for a reason. Nancy Pelosi doesn't have the power to call out the military. Remember when he was thinking about calling out the military when our streets were burning and people were being murdered and maimed? Remember what the media said then? Remember what the general said then? The insurrection would be Trump's. Remember all that? When the White House was under attack? Because the generals weren't in any mood. And the Secretary of Defense had no intention of calling out the National Guard to stop any of this. Period. Now she wants to know why he didn't call out the National Guard or federal law enforcement on that day. She does not want to discuss that Nancy Pelosi turned down 10,000 troops, armed troops, who would have stopped everything. She doesn't have the power to call in, she says, the military. But the mayor of D.C. certainly had the power to call in more police. The FBI director doesn't need a director from the President of the United States to send in more FBI. Go ahead. I understand that the police testified against her, the chief very strongly against mm-hmm. her, Capitol Police, great people. They testified against her and they burned all the evidence. Okay, they burned all the evidence. Mr. They President, destroyed all the evidence about why Nancy Why are you Pulse. interrupting him? They destroyed... 60 to 70% of the information they had gathered. The January 6th committee. One insider says they didn't investigate the lack of security at all. Another says that, of course, they never talked to Nancy Pelosi at all, who should have been a witness. Why is that not relevant? Go ahead. Say to people who wonder why you, you as commander-in-chief, you have authorities that Nancy Pelosi doesn't have as commander-in-chief. No, no, she has authority over why the Why didn't Capitol. you send help in that moment, though? Uh, frankly, just so can you, you imagine? Hold on, let's Can you imagine if he sent, at his direction, the military or the FBI, 
at, to the Capitol, wouldn't they have accused him, Mr. Producer, of sending them in there to help the insurrection? Is there any doubt in anybody's mind? Go ahead. I assumed that she took care of it. She turned down. So when you realized that, that the National Guard wasn't coming? Well, you, you, didn't, you don't realize anything until quite a while. National Guard not coming. I, yes, I asked it to be there three days in advance, and she turned it down. She says that that request was never officially made. Oh, Just okay, so stop. Know. She's a liar. Millie says, Cash Patel says, the Acting Secretary of Defense says, the Inspector General of Defense says, 100% that was offered. So she is a bald-faced liar. That's why they did not want her to testify on January 6th. She's a fool. She let down the people in there. She was concerned about optics. Can you imagine all the testimony about what she said, all the text messages that she issued, all the emails she sent and that she received? Can you imagine what that would have done to the Democrat Party and the Speaker of the House? Destroyed them. Go ahead. Ask you the about mayor pardons, of D- Let Mr. me President. tell you. The mayor of D.C. gave us a letter saying that she turns it down. Okay, we have it. Nancy Pelosi also was asked, and she turned it down. The police commissioner I'm talking of about Capitol the day Police, of wait a minute. Yep. Capitol Police said that he wanted it, and Nancy Pelosi wouldn't accept it. Let me She's- ask you something, Walker. So why didn't Pelosi pick up the phone and call the president and then say, please send in the National Guard? Why didn't she do that? Trump is supposed to be sitting all the way down the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue watching this on TV in order the military to go to the Capitol building. Nancy Pelosi made calls that day when that was taking place. She just didn't call the commander-in-chief. So why didn't she, on that day, call the commander-in-chief and ask for the military? We'll never know. Now, here's Nancy Pelosi on with Jonathan Capehart, who is a radical kook leftist who gets no ratings whatsoever on the weekends. Hat tip, right bar, cut for go. He is blaming you for the attack on the Capitol that he instigated. Your response. Oh, what a cool question. So Trump instigated the attack on the Capitol. He's never been charged with that. Capehart, if that is your name. So what does she say? There's a sickness there with Donald Trump. There's a sickness. As her face melts from the heat of the lights of the camera. You know, I've said in the past years that she's fascistic. The way she ran the House, the way she ran impeachments, she is fascistic. She's also a nut job. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. It's open season on police officers. Local law enforcement. All the talk inside the Beltway is always about manga. Violence. I think I read a story that FBI agents need protection now or some such thing. All police officers in all walks of life all over this country are being murdered in cold blood. They're the ones who deserve 40% increases. Why? Because they put their lives on the line. That's why. Nobody else does that who's not in the law enforcement and the protection field. All this testimony in Washington, D.C., all these statements by Biden regime officials caring about the Capitol Police, they don't give a damn about the Capitol Police. That's a means to an end. They don't give a damn about police at all. What's going on in our cities and elsewhere, these are natural disasters. Once again, these are Democrat Party man-made disasters. By now, most of you have seen this horrendous video of these teenagers in a stolen vehicle laughing, targeting a man on a bicycle. The driver revs up his engine, taps his horn, slams into the back of the bicycle. The man flips up into the air, his bike is crushed, and he dies instantly. He didn't know what hit him. 6 a.m., he's out for a morning bicycle ride. We see the video because the teenagers were very proud of what they did, and they posted it. There's no doubt what took place. You got the guy in the back of the car egging on the driver, who didn't need much egging on, by the way. They had carjacked his vehicle. Now, what kind of people do such a thing? What kind of people do everything they can to tamp down the coverage of what took place? Probably the same kind of people who 85 years ago and beyond, covered up the Holocaust. Probably the same kind of people who cut corners all the time when it comes to reporting the truth, particularly if it means they have to abandon their narrative and their agenda. 
And so this story has spread a lot thanks to the Internet and certain media, including conservative talk radio. But otherwise, you don't hear much about it. Let's dig a little deeper. The truth hurts. The man riding the bike, middle-aged man, turns out he's 64, he's a white guy. I thought race was important. It's important to know everybody's race, isn't it? Isn't that what we're told? Press or oppressed and so forth? It's a white guy. The teenager driving the vehicle and the guy in the back are not white guys. They're black guys. They're punks. They saw this man riding his bicycle. Guy in the back says, get his ass. Driver slams into the back of the bike and murders the guy who isn't bothering anybody. I don't see Attorney Crump out there. Do you, Mr. Producer? I haven't heard Al Sharpton talk about this. Nancy Pelosi, mom. All the leaders of the Democrat Party don't say a word. Biden, Kamala Harris, nothing, not a word. And everybody knows damn well if the shoe was on the other foot, this would be a marquee story on every network in America across the top of the page in every newspaper in America. But it's a non-story. As they write at Right Scoop, the horrible video shows teenagers in Las Vegas hit and kill a man on a bicycle for fun as they ran another car off the road. The man they killed was retired California police chief Andreas Props who was only 64. The teens had just stolen a Hyundai and were picked up by cops on the 14th of August. The 17-year-old driver was arrested on suspicion of hit and run, but it was only after cops discovered the video showing them committing the crime in late August that they were charged with murder. As a New York paper reports, a retired California police chief appeared to be deliberately mowed down and killed while riding his bike in Las Vegas by a laughing teenage driver whose pal can be heard saying, yeah, hit his ass on the video. Andreas Propst, 64, was killed after he was deliberately struck while out for a morning bike ride around 6 a.m. on August 14, according to Las Vegas police. The unidentified 17-year-old driver of the Hyundai was arrested by police soon afterwards at a Las Vegas Review-Journal report. Was this on the morning schmo today? Do we even know? Who knows? I'm sure it was. I'm sure he's very concerned about this. Tina's since been charged with murder after police discovered a video posted to the social media that allegedly showed him deliberately hitting the man. So they post it. That's how proud they are. It's very funny. This weekend, the shocking footage went viral online showing the driver asking his pals, ready? As the passenger films, laughing. Yeah, hit his ass, he tells the driver before plowing into the retiree. 
The disturbing clip begins with the passengers cursing at other cars as they speed by on a North Tanya Way near West St. Highway, a Parkway. The video shows the car approaching a man in a red riding a bicycle on the side of the road from behind. With his friend's encouragement, the driver pulls into the bike lane behind him, honks his horn, and deliberately smashes directly into the back tire with a loud bang, sending the cyclist flying. The passenger films the man lying helplessly on the side of the road behind the vehicle. Damn that N-word, and you know the N-word. Damn the N-word. Got knocked out. Got knocked out, the passenger says as the driver can be heard stepping on the gas. Propst was taken to the University Medical Center where he was pronounced dead. The 17-year-old was arrested the same day as Propst's death on suspicion of hit and run. He was later charged with murder because of the video. Though the date the charges were set was not clear. Passenger in the back. It's not clear what's happened to him. The former cop had moved to Sin City after he retired as a police chief in Bell, California in 2009. Did I mention about the deputy sheriff? Who was murdered? Who was sitting in his car? Minding his own business? Murdered. I think it was yesterday. They're shot where he sat. These are the people that deserve a 40% salary increase. And these are the people who are now being targeted. It's open season on cops. You can thank the media for all this animus. You can thank the Democrat Party. The civil rights Marxists, many of them as I call them. You can thank the prosecutors who don't prosecute, the judges who coddle criminals, most Democrats, Soros supported many of them. The Democrat Party hates America. You see it every damn day. Every single day. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Before I get to the launch of the book, and I want to thank all of you who are participating. Look, folks, if there's a government shutdown for the right reasons, I'm all for it. I've lived through them before as part of the Reagan administration, before and after. There have been 21 of them since the 1970s, and we have survived all of them. But I am deeply troubled by what's taking place with five members of the Republican Party. These individuals are not conservatives. These are dead-enders. If you're going to shut down the government, you better have a damn good reason to do it. Again, I'm not even opposed to it. But you have to have a plan. You have to have a way out. You have to have something that can be accomplished, anything to advance the ball of liberty. We've got a number of people who want to run for higher office. Some of them want to run for governor. Some of them want to run for senator. 
Some of them, this is the greatest opportunity to draw attention to themselves. Five of them. We're not even talking about the Freedom Caucus. We're not even talking about the 21 who held out for a period of time against McCarthy. As a matter of fact, I'm not even talking about McCarthy. When you have Byron Donalds and Chip Roy and Jim Jordan and other stellar conservatives who refuse to join these five dead-enders, that should tell you a lot. One of the things that the federal government is supposed to do, because we can't do it as individuals, the states can't do it, is to defend this country against foreign enemies. The greatest threat we face in terms of foreign enemies is communist China. And these five reprobates are endangering our country. They're endangering our country and they're pretending that they're principal constitutionalists when they are not, such as Andy Biggs of Arizona, such as Rosendale of Montana, who wants to run for the Senate, I hear. I want to read something to you from our friend Gordon Chang, few weeks back there's nobody better in unprecedented moves Chinese ruler Xi Jinping replaced the senior leadership of China's rocket force which is responsible for almost all of China's 400 or so nuclear warheads these personnel changes are part of what is almost certainly the most ominous development of this time Looks like Xi is contemplating using or at least threatening to use his most destructive weapons, nuclear weapons. In other words, China is planning to go to war. Xi sacked his rocket force commander and its political commissar. Neither has been seen in public since. The deputy the commander has also disappeared, along with a former deputy. At about the same time, the deputy commander of the rocket force reportedly took his own life in early July. So he's cleaned out the nuclear rocket force, top individuals and second-tier individuals. He's blown them out. Periodically, there have been suicides of senior Chinese military officers, but the simultaneous removal of the top two officers of the rocket force is unprecedented. Also unprecedented are the replacements coming from other branches. The new rocket force commander is from the Chinese Navy. The new commissar moved over from the country's Air Force. American observers seem to believe that the sweeping purge was designed to target widespread corruption in the senior ranks of the PLA. Chris Buckley, the New York Times, for example, called the personnel changes an unexplained shakeup that suggests suspicions of graft or other misconduct. Yet this explanation is partial at best. Almost all the senior generals had good reputations before their promotion, said a well-placed source speaking anonymously to Hong Kong's South China Morning Post. Indeed, while the PLA senior office corps is known to be thoroughly corrupt, Xi Jinping has, during his decades-long rule, generally tolerated corruption among supporters. 
It's less likely that corruption was the reason behind the purge and the rocket force upheaval than a convenient excuse. The more likely explanation for the purge lies elsewhere. From the beginning of this year, Xi Jinping has been purging the military of officers opposed to going to war. Because he's preparing to go to war. Xi Jinping these days often talks about war and his regime is fast preparing for one. The Communist Party is implementing the largest military buildup since World War II. It's simultaneously trying to sanctions-proof the country, stockpile grain and other commodities, survey America for strikes and sabotage, and mobilize China's civilians for battle. The military indoctrination of children begins during the first years of school. And why would Xi Jinping opt for going into battle? China is failing fast. And Xi is being blamed. His Maoist-inspired policies, which favor state enterprises over private and foreign businesses, are making severe problems even worse, especially troubling as Xi Jinping's relentless cutting of China's links with other countries. China's in trouble. Xi's only way out is to rally the Chinese people with an external crisis. Chinese doctrine is to threaten the use of nuclear weapons to prevent the United States and others from coming to the aid of Taiwan or other targets. During Xi's rule, Beijing has periodically made unprovoked threats to kill Americans by the hundreds of millions. And beginning in 2021, Japanese and Australians as well. Moreover, China has also warned it will nuke Taiwan, the self-governing island that Beijing considers its 34th province. In short, Xi needs obedient rocket force officers to execute orders to launch nuclear weapons, especially if the initial stages of a war do not go well for Chinese attackers. And as Richard Fisher of the International Assessment and Strategy Center told me, at a time when Xi is preparing for war, His changes in the PLA High Command reflect his demand for senior officers who will obey war commands. That so many have been purged reflects disobedience in the ranks, expressed as a reluctance to go to war. The regime handed down a death sentence this year to former Air Force General Li Yazhu due to his continued opposition to an invasion of Taiwan. And he's not alone. The image that Xi Jinping is firmly in command of the Communist Party is belied by increasing evidence of instability in the ranks of the Chinese military leadership, said Charles Burton of the Ottawa-based McDonnell Lauer Institute. The extraordinary purge of both the commander and political commissar of the rocket force suggests there's serious discontent within China's military with Xi Jinping. Burton, a former Canadian diplomat posted in Beijing, points to Xi's failing domestic and foreign policies, especially the cratering economy. They, they've got some problems, said uh, Biden. Bad things like starting wars. It's not clear that Xi has succeeded in taming the People's Liberation Army, whether the Chinese military will remain loyal to Xi if he orders an invasion of Taiwan, which could well fail disastrously for China, is now very much in question. There is, however, one thing we know. China is a ticking time bomb. And now the world has to wonder whether that device is a nuke. You know, I've read enough of history, even our own history, as well as world history, to know that the signals are always there. 
there might be a surprise attack. But Japan was building up for war before they attacked us at Pearl Harbor. Japan made alliances with countries that had already gone to war, like Italy, like Germany. China is plotting to go to war against us. It's as clear as day. We are not prepared. As a people, we are not psychologically prepared. Our all-volunteer military is not meeting its numbers. We are cutting R&D and capital investment and weapon systems. And we're at a time we should be significantly increasing our military muscle. Not to go to war on our say-so, but to protect us. Should we be attacked? What do you think Ronald Reagan would be doing right now? What do you think Donald Trump would be doing right now? We don't have a lot of time. We have no leadership out of the White House. We have appeasement, capitulation, a Manchurian president. And now we have five phony conservatives. These are not people we want to follow. These are not people who you should want to follow. Who just blocked the defense authorization bill. Even though it contained an 8% cut in non-defense, non-veteran spending. 8%. And embraced many of the objectives you and I have in terms of securing the border against illegal immigration. But it wasn't enough. They want all 12 bills or something like that. Communist Chinese sit there, Xi sits there, and he said, what would we do without Biden in the presidency, without Schumer as the leader of the, Repub- of the Democrats of the Senate? And what would we do without these five phony conservatives? who really have no plan. They spout off when pressed. They don't even make any sense. And they are not the people we want to follow and support. A government shutdown for the purpose of defending this country, expanding our liberty, slashing spending, yes, A government shutdown that arms our domestic enemies with propaganda and our foreign enemies with propaganda is unacceptable to me. These five are not the conservatives. You haven't even heard of them before, unless I mention their names here. They've done nothing significant ever. Rosendale of Montana. Ken Buck, Mr. Anti-Impeachment Inquiry. Andy Biggs, Mr. Anti-Convention of States. These are not conservatives. These are not constitutionalists. 
I call them kamikaze Republicans. Because they don't present you or me with any rational, rational position that will strengthen our country, slash spending, and get control over the reprobates in this government. The vote today took place 214 against 212 for. We were three shy. These five know that they can do whatever they want. The Democrats voted against funding the military, and so did these five so-called conservatives. This is not the Freedom Caucus, which is made up of about four to five dozen members. This is not any caucus, except the caucus of the A-holes. China builds, China plans, getting closer and closer. We can't even get five Republicans to vote to get our military preparedness in place against an enemy that is building and getting stronger and stronger. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. I see President Trump endorsed the book today, Mr. Producer. We want to thank President Trump. We'd like all Republican candidates, all Republican leaders to endorse the book. I mean, after all, it's about the Democrat Party. But, you know, some of them seem more like Democrats than Republicans these days, don't they? Certainly do to me. They could benefit by reading the book, I believe, so they know how to respond to questions about race and abortion, the budget, law and order, the Constitution. But uh, hope springs eternal. But I don't have a ton of hope on that. That I can tell you as well. This is important to me. I think it's important to you as well. Former Capitol Police Chief blames Pelosi for January 6th security failures. By Kerry Pickett, the great Kerry Pickett at the Washington Times. Representative Nancy Pelosi was among the key players whom former U.S. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund said was responsible for the breakdown in security that led to the riot at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Mr. Sun testified before the House Administration Oversight Subcommittee Tuesday and told lawmakers that at the time of the attack, he learned that then-Speaker Pelosi never wanted the National Guard deployed. According to Mr. Sun, on January 3, 2021, he talked to House Sergeant-at-Arms Paul Irving and to Senate Sergeant-at-Arms Michael Stenger about calling in the National Guard. He was told by Mr. Stenger that he should ask Major General William Walker, who was the commander of the D.C. National Guard, how quickly his troops could deploy to the Capitol complex if necessary. Mr. Sun said at the hearing that four months after the riot, Mr. Stenger told him Mrs. Pelosi, California Democrat, did not want the Guard on the Capitol grounds that day. Hmm. 
I said, Mr. Stenger, you came up with the response fairly quickly for me to call General Walker, and he told me Paul Irving had called him ahead of time and said, son came here asking for the National Guard. We've got to come up with another plan. Pelosi will never go for it. I was floored by him saying that. According to Mr. Sund, the day when a pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol and disrupted the Congress certification of President Biden's win, he contacted Mr. Irving at 12.58 p.m. and requested they call in the National Guard. He was fully aware of just how bad it was outside, and I did not get the approval, he said. Now, Mr. Sun resigned January 16, 2021, after Mrs. Pelosi called for him to step down from his post and blamed him for not securing the Capitol. Think about that. He maintains that he called the National Guard six times for three days before the attack, but they didn't deploy. They can't deploy unless the Speaker says they should deploy. He maintains that he did so six times for three days. Republican lawmakers excoriated Ms. Pelosi and Mr. Irving for making Mr. Sunday scapegoat the day of the Capitol was breached by pro-Trump protesters. Let's stop here a minute. There's a sergeant arms of the House, right, Mr. Producer? There's a sergeant arms at the Senate. Does Mitch McConnell not have any role whatsoever in whether the National Guard is accepted as President Trump offered or not? None of this was part of the January 6th Politburo hearing or investigating none of it. Pelosi gets to play Florence Nightingale. There's someone akin to that pointing fingers elsewhere, particularly Donald Trump. But she was in charge of security. She was offered 10,000 National Guardsmen, armed troops. She didn't want them. The mayor, Democrat of D.C., she didn't want them either. See, this gives the lie to the whole damn thing. Their January 6th committee, including the two reprobate Republicans... Protected Nancy, Pelosi, uh, protected Nancy Pelosi and pretended she didn't have any role. All she had to do is say yes. And none of it would have happened. But it also gives the big lie to the fact that Donald Trump was leading an insurrection and committed sedition when he offered those troops. Right, Mike Pence? Isn't that right? Mark Short? Nikki Haley? Chris Christie? None of us in this room are saying what happened on January 6th was correct, says Representative Greg Murphy of North Carolina. But I absolutely believe the conditions for that to occur rests at the former Speaker's lap. And those two sergeant-at-arms are complicit with other individuals, said Mr. Murphy. It's one thing for something to occur, but it's another thing to create the conditions for that to occur. Of course, he's exactly right. But, of course, Representative Norma Torres of California, the top Democrat on the panel, turned the panel's attention to former President Trump's involvement in spurring the attack. And then they go on with their talking points. 
But Donald Trump didn't spur the attack. He never used words that spurred the attack. There's not a scintilla of evidence in any phone calls, texts, emails that he spurred any attack. People, some of whom are making pleas and said they wouldn't have done what they did but for the fact of Trump X, Y, Z. But that's nothing. That's not evidence of anything. Did Chuck Schumer spur the would-be assassination of Brent Kavanaugh by the things he said when he turned around and pointed to the, the uh, Supreme Court building and attacked those justices? How come he's not tied to that? And he really did. He really did threaten those justices. Donald Trump didn't threaten anybody in that building. He didn't threaten an insurrection of any kind, period. We all know it. We all saw it. We all heard it. We know all about it. It didn't happen. This is the long history of the Democrat Party. And they're never Trump or friends. But it's the long history of the Democrat Party to make up history, to rewrite history. And they've done it about January 6th. I'm not even talking about whether you like if Trump acted too soon, too slow, too what. It's not what I'm talking about. It's the insurrection day, January 6th. Does anybody remember the date the White House came under attack? And of course, the Democrats were very concerned about all the Secret Service personnel who were injured. No, they weren't, and they never said a damn thing. And Donald Trump's hustled off to the nuclear bunker under the White House. And they're trying to breach the gate. And they have to call in. Police. Federal police. They have to call in. FBI and others. For which... For which even Bill Barr at the time was excoriated. And yet they needed to do that. In order to put down the insurrection that occurred that day. Anybody know what date that was? No. Isn't that circled on our calendar anywhere? No. It was BLM and Antifa, the Democrat Party, militia wing. And that's the other thing. It's not like the Republican Party has a regular militia ready to roll at any time. But the Democrat Party does. They do. And so here we have open statement in testimony by the former U.S. Capitol Police Chief under Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell saying it was Pelosi's fault that that building was breached on January 6th. He lays it right at her feet. And so they smear him. She fires him and blames him. And that's good enough for Washington, D.C., so it must be good enough for the country. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Let me just read these headlines to you and then get to the bigger point. 
So in Breitbart, Biden grants quasi-amnesty to 470,000 more Venezuelan migrants. Just snaps his fingers. Temporary protected status. We'll add one worker for every nine Americans who will begin to seek jobs this year. In combination with Biden's massive inflow of legal and illegal immigrants, the temporary amnesty will further force wages for Americans down after three years of shrinking wages. And, of course, all the other problems that come with that. So that's one, one thing. Then, as I was mentioning earlier, Joe Biden's DHS plans photo ID cards for illegal aliens freed into the United States. Now, why would they give them those? Just so they have pictures of themselves on little government cards and can stick them in their wallet? No. So they can use them to travel freely around the United States. <coughs> Excuse me. And yes, even to vote. Yes, even to vote. All the security measures, all the barriers intended to prevent illegal voting are all one by one being destroyed. And then we have a guy like this Governor Shapiro in Pennsylvania. We're told he's a moderate. He's the future of the Democrat Party. Josh Shapiro announced Tuesday, which is National Voter Registration Day, that the state will now automatically register register residents to vote while getting their driver's license or their state ID. State ID? says, I made a commitment when I was campaigning for this office that we would bring automatic voter registration to Pennsylvania, break down the barriers for legal eligible voters. He didn't do this with legislation. He didn't get a vote out of the legislature. Pennsylvania Department of State spokesperson told ABC News that people who are not eligible to vote will not be presented with a voter registration screen during any of the DMV processes. Oh, okay, so DMV will be the first line of defense, Mr. Producer. I'm sure that'll work just perfectly well. So what's going on? I have an entire chapter on the war on the American citizen. The Democrat Party hates America. I just heard a host say that liberals hate America. They're getting close. Britannica defines citizenship as, in part, the relationship between an individual and a state to which the individual owes allegiance and, in turn, is entitled to its protection. They say citizenship implies the status of freedom with accompanying responsibilities. Citizens have certain rights, duties, and responsibilities that are denied or only partially extended to aliens and other non-citizens residing in a country in general, Full political rights, including the right to vote and to hold public office, are predicated upon citizenship. The usual responsibilities of citizenship are allegiance, taxation, military service. Citizenship is the most privileged form of nationality. That's Britannica. So the purpose of citizenship, I write, is to unite people around common values, belief systems, principles. That is, a dominant culture. The American culture. Otherwise, a nation simply cannot function and ultimately will fail. Unfortunately, the ruling class, led by the Democrat Party, the media, academia, and the administrative state, do not share the public's belief in either the necessity of citizenship or the well-being of our country, America. The late Harvard professor, Samuel P. Huntington, writing in his book, Who Are We? The challenges to America's national identity observed, and I quote, 
The views of the public on issues of national identity differ significantly from those of many elites. These differences, and he wrote this in 2008, these differences reflect the underlying contrast between high levels of national pride and commitment to the nation on the part of the public and the extent to which elites have denationalized and favored transnational and subnation identities. The public overall is concerned with Social Security, not the program, the fact of Social Security, which involves the sustainability within acceptable conditions for evolution of traditional patterns of language, culture, association, and religious and national identity and custom. But for many elites, these concerns are secondary in the global economy, supporting international trade and migration, strengthening international institutions, promoting American involvement abroad, and encouraging minority identities and cultures. This was a Harvard professor. I point out the divide between the public and the ruling class, explains Huntington, is broad and getting broader. He wrote, the differences between a patriotic public and a denationalized elite, writes Huntington, parallel other differences in values and philosophy. Growing differences between the leaders of major institutions and the public on domestic and foreign policy issues affecting national identity form a major cultural fault line cutting across class, de- uh, uh, racial, regional, and ethnic distinctions. In a variety of ways, the American establishment, governmental and private, has become increasingly divorced from the American people. And politically, America remains a democracy because key public officials are selected through free and fair elections. But in many respects, it has become an unrepresentative democracy because on crucial issues, especially involving national identity, its leaders pass laws and implement policies contrary to the views of the American people. Concomitantly, he writes, the American people have become increasingly alienated from politics and government. And I add, yet today Biden and his party are overseeing and instituting the greatest degradation of our immigration laws and system in American history. The unstated purpose is to allow as many aliens as possible to freely enter the United States virtually at will in the face of broad public opposition. And the result is mass migration from all over the world into the country without regard for who the aliens are and whether they are willing or capable of assimilating into American society. As I wrote in Liberty and Tyranny, no society can withstand the unconstitutional mass migration of aliens from every corner of the earth. The preservation of the nation's territorial sovereignty and the culture, the language, mores, traditions, and customs that make possible a harmonious community of citizens dictate that citizenship be granted only by the consent of the government, not by unilateral actions or demands of the alien. And then only to aliens who will throw off their allegiance to their former nation and society and pledge their allegiance to America. That's liberty and tyranny. Which was written, good Lord, Mr. Producer. What, 20 years ago, give or take? Claremont Institute senior fellow and California State University professor Edward Erler, reflecting Aristotle's observation, writes, a radical change in the character of the citizens will be tantamount to a regime change, just as surely as a revolution in political principles. 
And of course, that's exactly the objective of the Democrat Party. And regime change it is, I write, as reported by Fox News, President-elect Joe Biden during the Obama administration said the U.S. benefits from a constant and unrelenting, and I'm quoting, stream of immigration, and that those with white European heritage becoming a minority in the U.S. is a source of our strength. Speaking at a White House summit on violent extremism in 2015, Biden said in part, folks like me who are Caucasian of European descent, for the first time in 2017, we will be in an absolute minority in the United States of America. Absolute minority, he says. Fewer than 50% of the people in America from then on will be white European stock. That's not a bad thing. That's a source of our strength, he says. I'm just reading to you what the racist said. Biden made similar comments a year earlier. where he spoke to the National Association of Manufacturers on the need for immigration reform, quote, from a purely economic point of view. According to The Hill, which reported on the comments, Biden said a key to U.S. economic strength is, quote, constant, unrelenting stream of immigrants into the country, not dribbling, significant flows, quote, unquote. More on Biden's egregious immigration policy shortly, I write in the book. But to be clear, the purpose of immigration is not to change the racial or ethnic makeup of the citizens you represent, but to ensure that the citizens you represent are the foremost benefactors of immigration policies. That's how John Adams saw it. That's how Jefferson saw it. That's how Hamilton saw it. That's how all the founders of the country saw it. America's founding fathers believed the purpose of immigration is to benefit the existing citizenry in society, not the interests of aliens who wish to come to the United States. After all, the representatives of the people are supposed to represent the people. That is the point of representative government, not championing the interests of foreign nationals. But for the Democrat Party, as Biden essentially declared, the purpose of immigration is the fundamental transformation of America, or more specifically, the citizenry. For Biden, the only issue that matters is the racial makeup of immigrants and the speed by which their policies will change the existing majority-minority racial demographics. That's what he said. For the Democrat Party, immigration is also viewed as another opportunity for fundamentally transforming American society and culture. It sees new immigrants as blank slates, unattached to the nation's founding principles in history, the capitalist system, and America's culture. It believes new immigrants can be more easily indoctrinated, manipulated, and persuaded by the party's advocacy of civil rights Marxism and political authoritarianism. And of course, the Democrat Party is convinced that its domination of the media, entertainment, and academia, plus its racist and segregationist propaganda, will appeal to new immigrants more effectively than the homegrown U.S. citizens. This is primarily why Biden, the Democrat Party, and the American Marxists insist on open borders and have no intention of reversing course. Importantly, this view is not shared by most immigrants, many of whom escape Marxist tyranny and totalitarian regimes, economic destitution and joblessness, resulting from socialist economies, government-controlled propaganda, brainwashing, and so forth and so on. Most are not drawn to the United States to become Democrat Party voters or to relive the horrors of autocracy promised by the American Marxists. Indeed, most immigrants seek what most Americans celebrate about their country, freedom. Even so, no country, past or present, can withstand 
unlimited numbers of foreigners pouring into its neighborhoods. For reasons explained earlier by the founders and many more, where immigration is not used for political and ideological purposes, unrestricted immigration is simply unsustainable. The costs are unbearable, given the enormous size of our welfare state, and it's difficult, if not impossible, to segregate the criminals and would-be criminals from millions of others crossing the border. And today, assimilation is much more difficult challenge than in the past because the American culture itself is being eradicated from within by the various American Marxist movements and the Democrat Party, and I go on and on and on, importantly so. But there's two more paragraphs I want to hit that are very, very important. This is from the Democrat Party Hates America. America. 